Hi everybody and welcome to Bible Prophecy Radio. Will Christians suffer persecution? Will you suffer persecution? Will I? I'm here to say that more than likely we will. Why? Why must persecution come to Christians? Well, we're going to see if we can find out from the scriptures themselves. Is there something good in suffering? Sure doesn't feel like it when it's happening, but there probably is something of value there because Christ himself went through it. Peter went through it. Paul went through it. All the apostles, every last one of them, except for John, died as a martyr. Why? Well, it was because they knew they could not go back once they had crossed that threshold. The threshold was the resurrection. They saw Jesus after he had died on the cross. In other words, if we are threatened with death, would we give up our Christianity? That is a question we must all ask ourselves and find a satisfying answer eventually. So if persecutions are prophesied to happen and therefore they become part of prophecy, where is it in the Bible that we can find the answers to these questions? Let's start in the book of Acts. Did you know there's prophecy in the book of Acts? Acts was written by Dr. Luke, the same one who wrote the book of Luke. So let's turn to Acts 9, but first let's go to Acts 7. Then God turned away from them and abandoned them to serve the stars of heaven as their gods. In the book of the prophets it is written, Was it to me you were offering sacrifices and offerings to? Those forty years in the desert, in the wilderness, Israel? No, you carried your pagan gods, the shrine of Moloch, the star of your god Rephan, and the images you made to worship them. So I will send you into exile as far away as Babylon. Verse 46, we'll drop down there to save time. David found favor with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for the God of Jacob. But Solomon was the one who actually built it. However, the Most High does not live in temples made with human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my home and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asks the Lord. And I'm reading out of the NLT, the New Living Translation, which is not the Revised Living Bible. It's a different translation altogether. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both the heavens and the earth? You stubborn people. And see, this is Stephen preaching to the stubborn scribes and Pharisees, the, the hypocrites, the Jews, the Sadducees. These people want to see a sign before they will believe. That's a problem. 
You stubborn people, verse 51, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. He's accusing them of their sins, and they know that he is speaking truth. So it convicts them and makes them angry. Name one prophet, this is verse 52, that your ancestors didn't persecute that suffering. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You see, Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one of God, and he was God. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. They shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into the heavens and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul was one of the ones witnessing this stoning of Stephen, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And that's verse 1 of chapter 8. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus everywhere they went. What happens in chapter 9 is very and compelling to me. It's very, very compelling. Some great things are happening in the life of this Saul. This isn't the same Saul in the Old Testament, obviously. This is the New Testament. This is what happened after the resurrection of Jesus. That's what the Acts of the Apostles is all about. So let's read, starting in verse 1, chapter 9, the book of Acts. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and eager to kill the Lord's followers. He thought he was doing God a service and that he was being a good Pharisee. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, where he knew there were believers by the way, and asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way they found there, the way being the way of Christ. 
He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the very one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they didn't see anyone. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there, blind, for three whole days, and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus. His name was Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. Verse 11, Acts 9. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he would regain his sight. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument. In other words, God himself chose Paul? Yep. Paul, a persecutor of Christians, a killer, a murderer of Christians? And he's choosing him out to be a chosen instrument? Well, we'll see what happens. He said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So see, suffering is a part of being a Christian. Verse 17, So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and also that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. So he got up and was baptized. Can you imagine a Pharisee getting baptized in the name of Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit? It's exactly what happened. Afterward, he ate some food, and he regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is indeed the Son of God. Whoa, 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 wait a minute now. This is a Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a supposed righteous, holy man, and he was doing this persecution of Christians to gain favor with God thinking that he was doing God a marvelous thing, a marvelous service. Now, he's preaching about Jesus as the Christ. 
Don't you find that incredible? On the one hand, just a few hours ago, he was persecuting Christians and holding the garments of those who were killing Stephen. Now he's preaching that Jesus is the Christ. That's quite a transformation, I would say. Verse 21, all who heard him were amazed at this, saying, isn't this that same guy? The same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They were astonished. And didn't he come here to Damascus to arrest them and take them in chains back to the leading priests in Jerusalem? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus could not refute the proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah that he spoke about. After a while some of the Jews plotted together to kill Saul. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived back in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. But Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Paul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some of the Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. You see how often the Jews wanted to kill someone and actually did it? They did it to Jesus, and he was a Jew as well. Verse 30, Acts 9. When the believers heard about all this, They took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger, that is, this peace became stronger as the believers lived in fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers." Now let's flip over to chapter 17 of Acts. Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis, Apollonia, and came to Thessalonica. So that's three towns where there was a Jewish synagogue. By this time, Saul had become Paul. As was Paul's custom, he was in the synagogues preaching about Jesus He went to the synagogue service for three Sabbaths in a row, and he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. And he said, This Jesus I am telling you about is the Messiah, the long-awaited one who was coming to rescue and save Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. But some of the Jews were envious, so they gathered troublemakers from the marketplace 
to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas, they said, have been causing trouble all over the world. They were shouting this, and now they are here disturbing our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they confess allegiance to another king, someone named Jesus. The people of the city, as well as the city council, were thrown into turmoil by these reports, so the officials forced Jason and other believers to post bond, and then they released them. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. The people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth, and as they did, many of the Jews believed as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. But when some of the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and stirred up trouble. The believers acted at once, sending Paul on to the coast, while Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens, and they returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join him. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw there in the city. So he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection... They said, What is this babbler trying to say with all these strange ideas he's picked up? And others said, He seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what this is all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing up before the council, addressed them as follows, Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For I was walking along, and as I was, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars with this inscription on it to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. He is the very God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and served by monuments made by human hands, for he has no need of them, and in fact no need at all. He is the one who gives life and breath to everything and everybody, and he satisfies every need. From one man, 
He created all the nations throughout the entire earth, and he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps find their way, even if they had to just feel their way blindly, in other words, and that they might find him, though he is not far from every one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. And some of you, your own poets, have said, quote, We are his offspring, this offspring of the unknown God, in other words. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice, and by the man he has appointed, i.e. Jesus, and and prove to everyone who he is by raising him from the dead. Now this is crucial. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, he is not God and therefore not worthy of worship. But let's go on. When they heard Paul speaking about the resurrection of the dead, they laughed in contempt, making fun of him. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion for the day with them, but some joined him and became believers. If we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, we have life. If we don't believe it, if we reject this knowledge... We don't have life. Virtually every single martyr of Christ has died because they could not refuse the fact that he was raised from the dead. And this is the crucial crux of the matter, so to speak. If he didn't, we do not have a Savior in Christ. It's as simple as that. But the Apostle Paul suffered for Christ's sake, and so did all the others. All the other martyrs, they all gave up life rather than rejecting the idea that Jesus rose from the dead. Through suffering, we grow. We become better, even if we have to die for it. God's glory grows, and we grow with it. We grow more like Jesus himself, who suffered and died. So here are things that we learn as Christians from these prophesied persecutions. It is normal for Christians to experience suffering. For a reference on this, we can go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Paul was writing to Timothy, his disciple, and he said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. He also spoke of the perseverance of saints in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 4 through 6. 2. Christians will experience many different types of suffering. 
2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 39. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger of rivers, of danger of robbers, a danger of my own people, in danger of the Gentiles, in danger in the city, and in the wilderness, danger at sea, and danger from false prophets. Have you or I experienced such things? Have I been whipped several times? No. Have I been hacked on my website? Well, yes. But suffering leads to hope. How do we know this? According to Romans 5, verses 3 and 4, Paul said this, Not only these things, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So, ultimately, Paul was saying that eventually the results of suffering ends in hope. And that's what I want for each of you. Hang in there. Stay with it. Do not deviate away from your Christian faith. For God is allowing this suffering so that we might share in his glory. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. And that is what we tend to forget when we're suffering. But even Paul many times wanted God to remove this thorn in his side from suffering. In other words, he wanted to be removed from suffering. But God told him, Jesus himself said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Well, this is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. Don't be afraid of persecution. Yes, it will come, but God will be right there with you. That I have experienced very much. If you want, you can go to my website, itellwhy.com. You can go there for free. There's no ads. I don't try to sell anything. I'm not trying to get your email address. I'm not trying to get your money. I want to spread the truth about Jesus that he is God, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior of the world. So you can go to itellwhy.com and get my email address there if you want to email me, but I'm not after your email address. So I'm going to let you go. Have a great day. Thanks for listening.